Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Welcome to one of the most listened to music podcasts in the world. This is Talking Metal. Hey, it's John, Talking Metal, here with Mark. Yeah, that's right, we're on 48th Street. A lot of you guys might know the famous 48th Street here in Manhattan. It's where all the cool music stores are. You got Manny's Music. Sam Ash, a lot of smaller stores like uh, Rudy's, and uh, there used to be a cool one called 48th Street Custom, but that's long gone. Remember that one? Yeah, they did a lot of stuff with ESP guitars over there. They were associated with ESP. That's right. And then down towards 6th Avenue, you got uh, Sirius Satellite Radio, a big uh, studio and office building, and across the street from that, of course, is Fox News. So uh, 48th Street jam-packed with stuff. John saying hello to some people right there, maybe uh, some sort of astronomy fan or whatnot. I'm not sure. But um, anyways, I'm hanging out here right by the waterfall on uh, 48th Street. And I wanted to give a shout-out to the Arrow Guns podcast. It's uh, one of our listeners. He's all over the Talking Metal forums. If you want to meet Arrow Guns, I would suggest getting a username and logging on to the TalkingMetalForums.com. Uh, but he's got his own podcast now, so check that out. We appreciate all the support you've given us, uh, Mr. Arrow Guns. One of our other listeners, David Rando, has now started his own blog. Check him out at http colon slash slash davidrando.wordpress.com. Uh, and what else is going on? How do you like the uh, 48th Street location, John? I love it. We are actually standing right in front of a very famous waterfall. There's a photo of Kiss from 1974 where they are standing in front of a waterfall, and that's exactly where we are right now. Maybe I'll get a shot of you in front of this waterfall. Yeah, and it's obviously a man-made 
waterfall. There aren't any big rivers going through the middle of Manhattan. Of course, we have the Hudson River on one side and the East River on the other, but this is uh, kind of a little waterfall in between two office buildings. It looks nice. It uh, doesn't look that old. It's amazing It was. it's been here since at least 74, huh? probably a lot longer than that. Yeah, I would say that this is definitely that waterfall, although I may be wrong, and it could be a different one, but I'm like 99% sure that this is the famous waterfall. Crazy thing. I just uh, stepped away for a second when you were talking, and uh, a photographer named Spencer Lloyd walked by, and the funny thing is the photo of me in the contact section and the one I also use for the bio was shot by Spencer Lloyd. So just a complete coincidence here in Manhattan. Excellent. I was wondering who that was. I thought maybe it was one of your many astronomy fans running up to greet you. <laughs> yeah, talking metal, man. We break break the mic out, and the next thing you know, people were swarming up. Actually, it did happen the last time. Somebody saw us but was afraid to come up. They didn't want to disrupt us. Dave, uh, Dave Carlson won the Aussie CD, so big shout-out to Dave Carlson. That was a few episodes back. But we appreciate your support, Dave, and you're – lucky because a lot of people emailed in to get that i believe you were the uh seventh emailer so i hope you're enjoying your aussie cd eddie van halen will be on the cover of the new guitar world guns and roses is on the cover of classic rock magazine this month there's a uh, review of all the leaked tracks so definitely pick that up and check that out what else is going on? I guess we're going to add some stuff to the site. We got a top 20 list from Jared Matthews going up in our top 20 section very soon. Yeah, we're going to add Jared's top 20 list. We've got some new reviews coming very soon from Tony Kosminski, right? Yeah, well, yeah, definitely, probably. And, um, well, let's say definitely reviews coming from Jared Matthews and probably... Some sort of features coming from Tony Kosminski. We're not uh, exactly sure what quite yet. Great. And then we are going to kind of revamp the menu bar at the top of the Talking Metal homepage. And we're going to add a button for Mark's blog. Uh, I'm going to have a section up there. We're not exactly sure what we're going to call them yet, but look for that. We're going to add all kind of cool stuff. Uh, Just basically... What you'd normally see in a blog, but we are going to be constantly adding content to Talking Metal, so you check those out. Yeah, we're kind of taking the step. Yeah, we're kind of taking the site up a notch, and and it's going to be the type of thing you're definitely going to want to hit up quite often because uh, we want to get to the point where we're updating this thing constantly, and uh, as opposed to once a week with a new podcast. So just just know that there will be. More content going up onto TalkingMetal.com more on a regular basis, you know, at least more regular than it has been. Uh, and I mean, like, every few days there'll be a new news story, a new photo, a new review, a new podcast. Uh, so add it to your favorites and visit it frequently. Right. And this is not going to be the same kind of content you will see in your normal news sites like Blabbermouth which we love. We're not trying to compete with sites like that. We're going to put kind of interesting stuff that's unique to Talking Metal. Yeah, definitely. You want to get into a song? Yeah. Um, Let's get into a song by David Lee Roth featuring John Five, who we're going to listen to in a little bit, the interview that we did on Talking Metal Live. This is called What Was That? What was that? What was that? What was that? 
heard was a little sound sample of John 5 along with David Lee Roth and that came off the David Lee Roth band record the DLR band record there's an American flag on the cover and a picture of Betty Page very overlooked David Lee Roth record that I recommend you guys all go and uh, pick up Wawa Zat was the name of the song John 5 is coming up shortly we got an exclusive interview with John 5 where he really opens up about some stuff and it's a it's a great listen so stay tuned for that. Yeah, John was great, man. I think we could have kept going all night because he just had such cool stuff to say and was just a very cool person to do an interview with. Yeah, real nice guy. We've, we've both been a fan of his for a while. Hey, I'm going to get into a letter. This says, I just discovered your podcast on iTunes. I had to write because during an interview with Ian Christie, I heard you mention Rose Records. I've been into heavy metal since 81 i ran my own heavy metal magazine in the 80s called amplified assault anyway back to rose records i used to drive there from what's that town dubuque iowa yeah dubuque thank you john dubuque iowa uh, anyways he says back to rose records i used to drive there from dubuque iowa to downers grove illinois There was a Rose Records nearby where we would buy all our imports. We also went to a place called The Rock Shop. That's so funny, uh, man, because I totally remember The Rock Shop. The band Diamond Rex used to hang out there. I'm not sure if if that was the place you were talking about, but if you were, it's definitely a small world. In 85, I went to the Aragon Ballroom and saw Metallica, Wasp, Armored Saint. I remember that concert. And unfortunately, uh, I didn't go to it, but I wanted to. Uh, I figured you might have been a part of the scene, considering you mentioned seeing Twisted Sister in Queensryche in 83. I saw the same one in Iowa. Well, that was actually John, who did not live in Chicago, who saw the Twisted Sister Queensryche show. Yeah, I saw that one at the Stanley Theater in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And then shortly after that, I saw Accept and Kiss at that same venue. Uh, I was definitely very involved in the late 80s in the heavy metal scene, living in Arizona. I saw groups like Pantera in 86, Flotsam and Jetsam with Jason, and no one even knew who he was back then. Anyways, this letter goes on for a while, and it's from a guy named Daryl Keck. Daryl, thanks for your letter. Um, My wife's mother's maiden name is actually Keck, so there you go. And, of course, I was absolutely referring to Rose Records in Downers Grove, Illinois. And to make a world even smaller, the woman I share an office with at Sci-Fi, her in New York here, her father was, I believe, one of the owners of Rose Records. And he's long since retired and left the Chicago area and is uh, down in um, Arizona. Her name's uh, Julie Rogers. So anyways, yeah, very small world. 
Very cool, Mark. I actually have a letter, too. Um, this one is from Randy Smith out of St. Louis, and the subject is Accept Lyricist. It says, you may have already had someone comment on this, so I apologize for the repetition. I am listening to your latest podcast, and I thought I'd drop this tidbit of info. Accept Lyricist was Gabby Hoffman, Wolf's wife, writing under the name, and I hope I pronounce this right, Deffy which you'll see on the song credits. Randy Smith from St. Louis. Thanks, Randy. That's uh, very cool. I did not know that. Yeah, I, I did not know exactly who she was, so thanks for clarifying that. We appreciate it, Randy. Uh, and by the way, just today I logged on to my eMusic account, and Breaker, the classic Accept record, is now up on eMusic. That, of course, was their third record from uh, 1981. Not quite as good as the record that fouled Restless and Wild, or the one after that, Balls to the Wall, but uh, still Breaker, one of the best Accept records, now available on eMusic. So all you metalheads who have eMusic accounts, go download that stuff. Have you heard about the new Motley Crue scandal? No, what's that? It also involves sanctuary management. No, what is it? <laughs> okay, so Motley Crue and the four members of Motley Crue are representing Motley Crue in this particular lawsuit are suing Sanctuary Management and or one of the managers from Sanctuary who apparently is still currently Tommy Lee's manager and they are suing him and Sanctuary because they say that he has basically used Tommy Lee to make Motley Crue look bad or something to that effect, saying that the reality shows made Tommy and Motley look bad and kind of hurt the Motley Crue ba uh, brand. And uh, it's really an interesting thing because uh, Sanctuary put out a release saying that they're in no way going to apologize for anything they've done to promote Tommy's career and that Tommy is still being managed by Sanctuary. So it's just kind of a weird, interesting kind of a thing. I mean, you know I love Motley Crue, but, like, none of those other guys have done anything to embarrass that band either. I mean, right. come on. <laughs> yeah. You know, a, a lot of the guys have been involved in side projects and, and other things and other bands and other reality shows, so it's very interesting. I love all the guys in Motley, but uh, it's, it's interesting the way this whole thing is unfolding. Yeah, Definitely. So let's get into some John 5 music and an interview. How about that? Sounds great. This is called Dead Art in Plainfield. It's on the new John 5 record, which can be purchased on john-5.com. And that's J-O-H-N, a dash, the number 5.com. Here it is, Dead Art in Plainfield, followed by an interview John and I conducted with John 5 last week.
Doing good. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Got it. John, thanks. I want to uh, tell everybody that John hooked me up at VH1's Rock Honors because I was standing out there in the silver spacesuit, and John came up and did a great interview. We talked about the great song Behind the Nut Love, which uh, we want to get into a little more, talking about your signature model guitars. And then you got me into my own VH1 party, and uh, somehow I didn't have the right pass, but you hooked me up. So thank you again for that, man. Absolutely. Anytime, anytime. Now, John, I know you have a, a great new record out called The Devil Knows My Name, which we're going to talk about, but I want to go way back. I've seen you probably play live maybe, oh, probably seven, eight times. Uh, the first time, though, was in New York City with Rob Halford, the band Two, playing Irving Plaza. Do you remember that? I do remember it because I've done a lot of shows, and I think that was one of the only shows I was actually afraid for my life because what happened is Tony Iommi was supposed to come on stage and play uh, Sabbath Bloody Sabbath with us. And unfortunately, he didn't make it. So everybody in the crowd heard about this. And, uh, you know, we were like, oh, unfortunately, Tony Iommi can't be here. You know, circumstances, blah, blah, blah. We played the song and we left. And the crowd was so pissed. They were so mad that, you know, they got up on stage and they were like, there was like a riot. And yeah. we were, I remember being in this small dressing room and there was no way, no way out. You know, there was one door and uh, that crowd was pissed. So I was like, you know, either we're going out the window or we're going to get torn apart. Well, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I remember standing outside after the show and you stuck your head out the window, and some guy yelled up and said, "Why didn't you play any priest?" And you yelled oh, back, right. "You yelled back, we don't know any." <laughs> Which knowing, I remember that too. Yeah, but soon thereafter, we uh, we started playing um, some priest in our set. <laughs> That's great. Rob well, that actually told us about that. Yeah, and that was an interesting. That was an interesting record because uh, now Trent Reznor was he the executive producer or something on that? Yes, he um, actually really cool story. Not a lot of people know about, but we were doing that record, and um, there were all these guitar solos in the in the record. Okay, and Tom Morello. This is when you know uh, Rage was getting pretty popular. They weren't like massive, but they were getting popular. And Tom Morello came in the studio because we were mixing and we were doing some work in there. And, you know, there were tons of guitar solos. And Tom Morello was like, oh, my God, he loved that record. And still to this day, he was like, that was such a, an amazing record. And then we sent it off. Um, I went on tour um, to do some, uh, like, Conan O'Brien stuff with this other artist. And we, we Rob went to New Orleans with Trent. And they took all the solos out, <laughs> except for like one or something like that. And Tom said when he heard the record and all the solos were gone, he was like, what happened? And I had the same reaction, too. I was pretty surprised. I guess at that point in time in music, I guess solos weren't very popular, So, um, which was a drag for me. But um, Definitely. You know, it's, it's all right. Yeah, it's, and a drag for us, too, who love great guitar playing, which you always deliver. That's um, sort of the same thing actually happened when Ace heard the mix of Kiss the Elder, and they took his solos away. Yeah, I remember yeah, reading that once. Yeah, it's, uh, it's you know, it's all right, though, not the end of the world. And <clears throat> that's why I put up these instrumental records, you know, because I didn't really, you know, I love 
this crazy shredding music and like you know country like crazy bluegrass stuff and i just love to play guitar it's all i do all day and when i got out of manson i was like you know what i'm gonna just put out some of these guitar you know instrumental stuff just for fun you know and it blew up so big i was like oh my god and i just you know saw i would go to the magazine stand and be like covers and covers of you know my face on these guitar magazines and i was very surprised of the you know um just how uh, people really accepted it and liked it, because I think it was just, you know, people weren't really expecting it, and it was different from, you know, because there was, like, country stuff on it, too, so I think that was what, what made it a little different from, you know, just your your regular crazy rock shred album, which I love, too, you know, so uh, that's, that's kind of why I started putting out those records. Cool. Well, well I mean, I want to go back and talk more about your history, Dave Lee Roth, Marilyn Manson. Uh, Rob Zombie, but while we're talking about the the solo records, of course, the new record, Devil, the Devil Knows My Name. Uh, where is the best place for people to get this? Well, what I wanted to do is you can get it only online, and um, the reason, I mean, here in Los Angeles, Power Records closed. There are all these, you know, CD stores that are closing, and I'm like, you know, I live in Los Angeles where. You know, there's like millions and millions and millions of people here, and I have to drive 20 minutes away just to go buy a CD. I mean, it's it's crazy. And so I'm just having it, I just put it out on uh, on my own label and put it out, uh, you know, on, on my website, MySpace, and just do experiments, you know, because I don't really put out these records to, you know, get rich or anything. It's just for, you know, hardcore guitar playing you know, fans of music, and and I kind of proved myself right because just you know from the two weeks it was released, you know it it did uh, it did great, you know, and so um, I'm really happy about that because the power of the internet it's it's, it's amazing, it's an amazing tool. <laughs> John, I love those promos on your MySpace page that Piggy D, uh, Piggy um, directed, and uh, those are great, man. Thank you. What we're doing, um, and this has actually never been done, we're doing the first R-rated guitar instructional video. So wow, very it cool. Is, it's going to be put out by Hal Leonard, which is like... A major company, a yeah. Major, major, major company. And they've always asked me to do one, and they put out my tab books, and I've always turned them down because instructional videos, I love them so much, but they're so sterile and almost uncomfortable to watch because they're so sterile. But the way I'm going to do it is just like, kind of like those video clips, you know, we're going to have, like, you know, there's going to be lessons and there's going to be me performing the songs, but then it's going to break away to, you know, just utter filth, you know, with girls and stuff like that. And because I was thinking 99% of these people that buy these videos are guys. And so if you're learning guitar stuff and, you know, guys love boobs, so, you know, can't you can't lose so it's uh it's going to be great and i actually we one of the girls that are going to be doing it is um the penthouse pet of 2007 and uh wow. we're really excited about it it's guitar lessons gone wild 
exactly. <laughs> Those videos, for all you listeners who have not seen them yet, go to John Five's official MySpace page, which is myspace.com slash John Five official, and they are amazing. You are sitting there playing guitar, and you've got these three unbelievable girls with these crazy masks on, and it is just out of control. And uh, you guys, both you, Piggy D, and everybody else, did a great job on those. Thank you. And yeah, this this on the DVD, it's going to be dirtier, and the chicks are going to be hotter, and it's you know you can't lose with the you know penthouse pet of 2007. Uh, absolutely not. Absolutely. A bunch not. of guitar solos and boobs, and you know you can't lose. That's what it's all about. Now, speaking of shredders, uh, you have some great guests on your record. Uh, tell us a little bit about Joe Satriani, Eric Johnson. Yeah, every on the last record, Songs for Sanity, um, I had I always wanted to you know put my favorite players you know uh, on my records, and I got Steve Vai on there, and I got Albert Lee, who's an amazing country player, and then this time I you know called up Joe and. Joe Satriani, and he agreed to do it, and Eric Johnson, and uh, and then I, you know, I'm I love Slipknot, like you know, every everybody should, and uh, I called up James, and he said yes too, and it was, you know, it's it's really cool because to call those uh, amazing players and take time out of their busy schedule to contribute to um, this record, and uh, you know, it's a true honor to have them playing along with me and it's you know it's it's great because with Eric Johnson he's more of a you know a Texas blues um rock player and who is incredible and I put him in such a different kind of rhythm I put him in like a really heavy type of Sabbath rhythm thing because I would love to hear Eric Johnson play you know and he just just ruled that song so uh you know, all the players did phenomenal. So I was really uh, honored to have them on the record. It's so cool that, I like what you said, you put the players on the record that you're into at the time that you're making that particular record. And what, what a cool thing to be able to just call those people up and they agreed to come on and, you know, good for you. And the the records are all very cool. I have a question about Eric Johnson now. Did he bring his signature gear in to do this stuff with you? Uh, that's a great question because he is so, um, you know, particular about even the screws, certain screws that go into his guitar, you know, and, wow. and amps and everything. So what we did is we sent him the tracks and he performed, you know, in his studio with all of his stuff and, uh, you know, a true, true, I mean, it's like beyond my, my thoughts that that um you know because i'm the kind of guy where i'm like all right cool i'll plug into whatever and you know just play but you know he's got such an amazing tone and he does all this you know all these things with this tone but and it's so different for me because i'll literally when people say oh you come up and play what do you need you know i'm like i don't know just something that works you know and i'll just plug into it like that's great i like that uh, yeah, it's it's funny. I just played with Static X. I got up on stage and played. I played on their album, and they said, "Oh, cool, come play that song with us." They were like, "What do you need?" And I was like, "I don't know anything. It's just loud." And they were like, "Okay, <laughs> cool. yeah, just give me an amp and a guitar and a chord, and you're, you're ready to rock." Right, and a, and a pick. And I'll, right. I'll be fine. <laughs> nice. So going back after the two experience, uh, you, I now correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you went on to do the David Lee Roth thing. 
Yes, I I was doing actually David Lee Roth um, the the recording his record, and I was just about to go on tour with Halford, so I was um, playing with both of them, you know, kind of simultaneously, and I would wake up at six in the morning and go record with David Lee Roth, and then I would at noon I would go rehearse with Halford uh, for the European tour, and it was. Um, it was funny because Dave, you know, David Lee Roth, you know, he's like, I'm David Lee Roth, you know, huge, you know, amazing. He's like, I want you first. You know, he doesn't want me after, you know, rehearsal. So Rob did, Rob Halford didn't want to change rehearsals. So Dave was like, all right, well, we start recording at 6 a.m. then. I was like, okay. So, um, you know, so I kind of was doing both gigs at the same time. And it was kind of an interesting time for David Lee Roth, too, because they had, I think it was like 96, had announced, I think uh, it was at the MTV Music Awards, they had announced that they were going to do a Van Halen reunion, which then, of course, folded. And I believe this was his first record back, which was definitely one of his hard hardest hitting records that you, uh, that you did with him. And was that, did he want to go back to that big rock sound? You know... It's, God, this, you know, I agree. I, you know, I'm a huge Van Halen fan, David Lee Roth fan. And, you know, I didn't want to see my hero doing these kind of gigs, you know? Because it was like, you know, this was my hero, and I wanted him to, you know, rock and, and just be David Lee Roth, you know? And so I wrote these kind of harder rock tunes, and... um you know, with Slam Dunk, when Slam Dunk went to radio, man, that thing did awesome. It was, like, all over the place. And, you know, people really, really liked it. And I remember Eddie Van Halen was doing a interview when Gary Sharon went, and he said, you know, what do you think of the new uh, David Lee Ross stuff, and he was like, you know, I think it's really good, and he complimented it, and he complimented me, and it was like, you know, hey, we're doing something right here, you know, and, uh, you know, it was it was a great time, because we recorded that album live, no click track, and, and I, you know, one or two takes, and I remember Slam Dunk was one take, and everybody played and sang at the same time. Yeah, we just played earlier in the broadcast "Wawa Zat," which is another great yeah. track off that record. Um, yeah. Very overlooked record too. If you don't know that record, it's the one with the American flag and Betty Page on the cover. DLR band and uh, John Funny, Five. I still, I still find some of those when I'm in town with you know people and stuff like that. They have that, so it's really cool. Cool. And just on a side note, what what's your opinion? Do you think this Van Halen David Lee Roth reunion is finally going to happen? It is going to happen. Um, it's going to happen for sure. Um, you know, I just, um, you know, I can't give out too much information, but I know it's going to happen for sure, and it's going to be a phenomenal tour. It's going to be huge, and, you know, I think there's a lot of people like, uh, I don't know, I don't know. You know those guys are ready to do this, and it's going to be it's going to be massive. If anybody, you know, Van Halen just ruled the uh, airwaves for years and years and years, twenty twenty five years, and you know I think it's going to be just a massive, massive tour, and they're definitely going to do it. 
Wow. Ooh, when I'm, you know, that's, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. But, uh, right. You know, that's, that's what I'm hearing. Are you so. still in touch with David? Um, not too much. You know, I've been just working, you know, a lot, but I haven't, I talked to Ed Van Halen, um, here and there, but, uh, I haven't talked to Dave in a little while, but, um, you know, those guys are just, those guys are ready to do it. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed as I'm doing this tour, but I'm just keeping such a positive outlook on it. Like they're going to do it. So, uh, you know, I'm keeping my fingers crossed and, uh, I really think it's going to happen. Cool. Cool. Now, John, before we get into some of the current stuff you're doing and some of the you know recent stuff you've been doing, uh, one of the posters on the Talking Metal forums, his name is RJW, he has a question for you. And basically, he's an artist who is thinking about going out to Musicians Institute, and he is wondering what it was like for you when you decided to make the move from Michigan out to L.A. Well, I think, you know, it's very important if you're going to pursue music as your livelihood, you know, I think it's very smart to either come to Los Angeles or New York. And that's what I did, you know, when I was right out of high school. I drove out here with the drummer from Megadeth um, and uh, Chuck Bueller. He was uh, on the record, So Far, So Good, So What? And he was already established. And so he was like, yeah, cool, you know, come on out to L.A. and you can come with me and all that stuff. So, you know, I knew not many, you know, very, very few people. And um, it was very, very hard at first, you know, but I knew that's what I wanted to do. And that was really the only thing I could do. And I just put my mind to it, um, you know, coming to Los Angeles and, I knew if I did something every single day to push my career, then all those things would build up into something. And that's what I did. You know, even if it was make a few phone calls or, or pass out flyers or do this or do that, all those things, if you do that every day for two weeks, it, you know, starts to add up to something. And, you know, I met Rudy Sarzo um, <laughs> at a gig. We were, I always had a local band in Los Angeles and we played, you know, whenever we could and we got horrible slots and somebody, this waitress said to Rudy's wife, oh, you should see this guitar player. He's really good. And so there was nobody in this club. This was at Gazzari's when Gazzari's was still called Gazzari's. And, um, he came to see me, see us. And this is when Whitesnake was massive. You know, they were like Nirvana or something. They were huge. And I remember two people in the crowd, it was Rudy Sarzo and his wife, and they were right at the front of the stage, and I was like, you know, no one's here except for Rudy Sarzo and his wife, and it was wild, you know? So we came out on stage, and the singer hit his head on something. He started singing, there was blood coming down, and the singer points to me and goes, guitar solo, and he ran off stage, and he, you know, fixed his head. And I was doing this guitar solo, and Rudy Sarzo thought this was all part of the show. He was like, this is a great show. <laughs> so, um, you know, he, that night he uh, took me out to breakfast and pretty much gave me my start. Wow, that's And great. I think it's a, you know, if he wants to come out to MI, I think it's a great starting point. Come out to MI, study, study guitar, get in a band and play clubs, because that's exactly what I did. And if you're hungry enough, you know, you're going to do it, because if... That kid 
doesn't do it, someone else is going to do it. Well, there you go. Cool. I believe that guy's name was Ryan. What was his last Ryan name? Wolf. Ryan yeah, Wolf. So everybody look out for Ryan Wolf. He's going to be heading out to the Musicians Institute, and he's going to practice all the time and just work hard, like John said, 24 hours a day. Cool. And uh, just briefly, I'd love to touch on uh, your work with Marilyn Manson. How, how did you end up hooking up with uh, Marilyn? Well, when I, um, when I got off tour with Halford... Um, we were supposed to do a show with Manson, and uh, I was a huge Manson fan. And we, they canceled the show. We were going to play. I think we were going to open up for them, and I was so excited. You know, I was like, I get to see Manson finally, and I never got a chance to see him. And so I was so excited, and I get to this festival, and they were like, Oh, Marilyn Manson canceled, but you guys got a better slot. And I was so pissed, you know. So we flew home after the gig, and. You know, it was, uh, my phone was ringing, I picked up the phone, it was uh, Manson's manager saying, we're having problems with our guitar player, would you like to come meet Manson for lunch? And I was like, of course. And uh, I talked to Manson, I remember he was wearing a Loverboy shirt and these big crazy sunglasses. And I, uh, for some reason, you know, that just stuck in my mind. And um, I remember he knew of... Uh, Rob Halford, what I've done with Rob Halford, and knew what I did with uh, David Lee Roth, and asked if I'd like to be in the band, and I accepted, you know, because I was, you know, knew all the songs anyway, and uh, I remember he gave me uh, the name John Five right there at lunch, and um, I remember <laughs> going home to my apartment and started to sign my name, how I was going to sign my name. You know how I was going to give my autograph. You know because it was very strange. You know, so it's almost like Peter Chris with the three. Yes, or <laughs> you're very smart. Peter Chris with the three. Then also, if you're, you know, really intuitive with eight with the star for an A. Right. Okay. I write John with a star for the O. That's awesome. Cool. And yeah. we. Uh, you know, I saw you, I think, probably three or four times with Manson, and then uh, was just blown away by the, uh, you know, I've seen Rob Zombie a number of times, but I think my favorite Rob Zombie show was with you at the Nokia Theater here in New York City. Uh, we were, you guys did, I think, two sold-out sold, sold out shows there. We were at the first one. It was yeah. a blast. Yeah. You know, with with Rob, it's, and I'm I'm not saying this because, you know, I'm, in his band, but it's definitely the best time I've ever had in a band. You know, we just have such a great time on and off stage, and when we're on stage, we are going nuts. You know, we're just going crazy up there, because, you know, we're, you know, we enjoy each other's company, and I love the music. I've been a huge fan of White Zombie and Rob Zombie, and, uh, you know, it's such a pleasure to get up there and play Super Beast and Supercharger Heaven and, you know, More Human and all those songs. It's, it's amazing. So I think people really see that from, you know, the crowd, the excitement from all the band members. You know, you know we're all so happy to be there. Because I remember seeing, like, Van Halen and they, in 1984, and they were having a great time. And that's how it was for us, you know or how it is for us. You know, we love being up there, and we love 
playing those songs, and uh, I think people really um, get off on that because they can see that we're we want to be there. You know, we're giving the people what they want. I had a such a blast seeing you guys. I was so into the song American Witch, and I still am. And when you guys came out on stage, and you guys had those masks and the the hats on, and the you know the like the raincoats and stuff, I just thought that that was unbelievable. And I mean, it was amazing to me. And this comes from a person who was blown away by Kiss back in the day. And and to me you guys were the first thing that came along in a long time that really just gave me that great feeling like I had back in the day. Yeah, that is, thank you very, very much. It's, um, it's funny, about those masks, we were at, um, we were playing a show at Sturgeon, and um, they, someone was selling a, um, a motorcycle mask, and it had, a, like, skull, you know, jaw skull on there. Where I was like, that's a good idea, and so we, you know, we kept on wearing them, you know, every couple of songs or something. Then we put it into the show, you know. So it, uh, you know, he's Rob has got such an amazing mind for and vision for certain things, you know. Unfortunately, you know, I can't say, oh yeah, it was, you know, Rob, you know, that was an amazing, amazing idea of his, and you know. That's why I like playing with him. He's got such a great idea. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, we're going to bring a huge robot out on this song. Oh, and then we're, you know, have a bunch of pyro on this song, and we're going to have, you know, so there's always something happening. Cool. I wanted to play for the listeners, uh, after we're done with you here, the cut off the Devil Knows My Name album, which is a cover of Welcome to the Jungle. Uh, are you a big Guns N' Roses fan? Yeah, Guns N' Roses, that song was kind of the song that made me want to move to Los Angeles because I remember seeing the video and hearing the lyrics. And, you know, I was very frightened of leaving my safe hometown in, in Grove Point, Michigan, to the jungle, you know. And, and that's kind of what made me move to Los Angeles was that song, and it kind of kept me going. And that's why I paid a little... Uh, tribute to it, and Axl Rose heard it and liked it, so I guess, you know, I just thought, right. It, well, speaking of Axl, there was a pretty uh, big rumor going around when Buckethead left the band and before Bumblefoot was in that you were the guy they were going after. Is Can you comment on that at all? Um, I don't know. It, you know, I heard about it, too, a lot, and, um, you know, I think that I just, you know, I, I would never... You know, the only way I'm leaving Rob Zombie is in a body bag. So it's, um, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, I don't know if they reached out to management or something, but, you know, I wouldn't leave Zombie for, you know, for anybody, not even, you know, not even Guns N' Roses. So, um, but it's, you know, I'm a huge Guns fan, and I love Bumblefoot, and I love Buckethead and stuff like that. So, you know, I think... You know, of course, Buckethead did an incredible job, and Bumblefoot is doing an amazing job. So I love the both of those players so much; they inspire me greatly. And uh, but yeah, you know, I just uh, I'm sticking with Zombie. <laughs> very, very cool. Now I got uh, two questions. Um, one kind of follows right into this talk about 
just being a great guitar player. And then the second question, I just want to say this before I forget. I want to talk about you jamming with Ace at the Dimebag Black Tooth Bash, but we'll get to that. But one of the things that I always thought was great about you is that you said that when you would go in to do a session, you had to make sure that you knew everything backwards and forwards and that you weren't even going to make any mistakes. And the, the great thing about it is that I think you might be one of the only people that, that, that can go in and actually pull that off in a recording session. And just tell us about your practice routine. I just think it was unbelievable. When I first read that, it really struck me. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's very important when I am, you know, sorry, sorry hold on a sec, sorry. Um, when I'm when I'm recording or going to do a session, I it's very important to learn everything I can learn about the song or the artist, what equipment they use, what tunings they use, and I will learn everything I can. Like if I go on an audition, I'll learn the keyboard parts, I'll learn the you know both guitar parts, harmony parts, everything because I want the gig. You know, or if I'm doing a session, you know, I'll learn everything I can about the song. So it's, you know, it's really, I think it's really important to be prepared, especially in a recording session, because, you know, they want you in and out of there. The truth is, they want to get to the vocals, you know, so you have to be able to know your stuff, record it perfectly, and get the hell out. So that's what I usually do, try to you know, be as prepared as possible, even still to this day, you know, I'll go do, you know, songs for people and I will um, be so prepared and just try to make it as quickly as possible so they can move on to the vocals or what else, you know, whatever else they're um, going to track. I think that's a, a great technique and I think really everybody who's a musician should listen to what John is saying and, and basically you got to know your stuff. I like the fact that uh, you, you not only learn the guitar parts, but you learn the other guitar players' parts, you learn the bass parts, you learn the keyboard parts, and I think that's just a great practice ethic. And uh, last question, John. Um, I uh, just want to ask, how was it jamming with Ace at the Dimebag tribute? Uh it was actually a dream come true. It wasn't really planned for me to uh, get up there and play with him, but you know, I, you know, am a huge Kiss fan, and I've known Ace for about ten years. And Ace didn't really know that many. You know, he knew everybody at the thing, but he didn't really know everybody like to hang out with them. So when I was there, he was like, "Oh, cool. You know, hey, what's up? Blah blah." So we hung out quite a bit, and it was um, it was great because I went to the hotel and he played me some stuff for his new record. And I'll tell you, his new record sounds really cool. It sounds like the '78 Ace uh, album, and right. it's really impressive. But when we got up there and played, we played um, Black Diamond, and it was actually a dream come true because that was my Superman, my Spider-Man, you know, that was my superhero, and I got to, you know, play with him. And, you know, it's so cool because, you know, he just actually texted me the other day, and he, he texts, you know, hey, how you doing, just hanging with the boys, and it was this picture of this alien, you know, and it's just, 
and then I sent him back a message, you know, this, with this chick with no shirt on, and I said, hey, just hanging with the girls, you know? <laughs> That's great. So, nice. Um, so, you know, we, we stay in touch, and it was uh, a true, you know, that that's a night that I'll never forget. Unbelievable. And, you know, and I know that, uh, John, you got to go, but I want to just have everybody hear about your signature guitars. You have a, you're a Telecaster maniac. You've got some of the, the greatest collection of Telecasters of all time. And you've got two out right now. And you got that new three pickup model that I think is amazing. Let's get a plug out for that. Yeah, it's a, it's a brand new uh, John 5 model, and it's got three humbuckers, and it's just so mean, and it sounds amazing, and I'm definitely going to be... I was using a little bit on the last tour with um, with Godsmack, a little bit, because it was the prototype, but I'm going to be, you know, coming out very soon. It's, it's just a monster, so I'm really proud of it. And uh, it's going to be in, like, guitar centers and Sam Ashes and get it at Fender. Uh, as well. Great. Cool. And, and how about a plug for your website, John? Yeah. Um, yeah, if you want to get the record, the devil knows my name, and it's, um, get it on uh, the, my page, which is john5official, and then my website is john-5.com. Cool. Well, thanks so much for joining us on Talking Metal Live. For the listeners out there, tell your friends if they missed it tonight, we will be posting this as a podcast in probably a week or two on TalkingMetal.com. Thanks, John. We appreciate you hanging out with us. All right. Thank you, guys. And Have we a- look forward to seeing you soon. Oh, definitely. We'll be, we'll be around there soon. Have a good night. You too. Take care, man. Bye-bye. Jungle by John Five, cover of the great GNR track, as we all know. That comes from The Devil Knows My Name, John's new album. Yeah, show John that Talking Metal sells CDs. Go to his website, email him, let him know you heard the interview, and then it was great. Go to his MySpace page, let him know you heard the interview, and uh, buy the record. Buy the record. It's a great record, and it's not really available in stores so john-5.com is the place to get it 
And we uh, thank John for coming on the podcast. And a big shout out to his MySpace uh, person. I guess her name is Emma. She helped promote the show. We had like 800 listeners on that live stream. It was insane. Yeah, that was a great live show. And thank you to Emma and thank you to John. Awesome. So I guess we're going to wrap it up here. I know uh, you had a pretty busy weekend, Father's Day weekend. What were you up to? Yeah, um, my father, my mom, and me hung out all throughout New Jersey at Famous Sopranos sites. And this wasn't part of an organized store. This was just us cruising around Jersey. And what's really interesting is that a lot of this stuff happened, like, in a very close proximity to Jersey City. I didn't even ever realize that Kearney, New Jersey, was literally the next town over. Yeah, Kearney's right next to Newark in between Jersey City and uh, and Newark. My my friend Phyllis is from uh, Kearney, New Jersey. I think you remember her. Uh, and uh, my nephew's mother, my brother's ex-wife, actually. Uh, and... Um, yeah, and Caldwell, out in Essex County, not far from where I live now, uh, is where Tony Soprano's house is, right? Yeah, absolutely. I uh, have a photo, which is pretty hilarious. We'll put it up on Talking Metal. It's going to be part of that new section uh, that we're talking about. Uh, there's a picture of me standing in front of uh, Tony's house, which is hilarious. Uh, uh, I've got a picture of me out in front of the original pork store, which was called Centani's. Not to be confused with Satriali's. What happened was for the pilot episode, they did it in front of a real pork store, and then HBO later bought an old auto parts you know, building and turned it into their own pork store that was just a fake pork store. But uh, And then a bunch of other uh, stuff. There's some stuff of, uh, I'm not sure which pictures we'll post, but uh, my family out in front of Holston's, which is the ice cream shop slash diner that was uh, the setting for the very last scene in The Sopranos. So that was pretty cool. I actually had the onion rings, which is what, uh, you know, the whole family had. And Tony said best in the uh, state. So uh, it's pretty hilarious. Sopranos tour, astronomy style, talking metal style. Were any of those actually in Newark? Uh, what was in Newark, actually? I'm trying to think. There might have been some of the restaurants that were in Newark. None of the actual places that I happened to just go to on this particular part of the tour were in Newark. They were in Elizabeth, Kearney, um, Bloomfield, and North Caldwell. Did you go to uh, the strip club? The Butter Bing. We actually went to the Butter Bing before, and uh, we actually didn't go over this weekend. But my, believe it or not, my family actually has been to the Butter Bing before which is all actually called satin dolls right right it's in lodi and what's funny is i didn't know this when we went there apparently right next door to that is a uh like a party place like not where you party like a rock guy but like where you um buy like party supplies like party hats and stuff like that and they use that for a scene in the sopranos too so that apparently is next to satin dolls which is also known as the butterbing all right, man. Let's get into a little more John 5 and call it a day. What do you got there? You got something picked out, right? John 5, as you guys know, plays with a lot of people, and a lot of people he's not actually in the band, like Rob Zombie is in the band, but, you know, he played on Paul Stanley's last record and and uh, Meatloaf's last record, right? Yeah, he collaborated with Nikki Six and Meatloaf on Bat Out of Hell 3, The Monster is Loose. I'm not exactly sure exactly what extent to what extent he collaborated with them on but i know he was a co-writer of this song and i believe he did play guitar on it as well 
and it's called The Monster Is Loose. The album is called Bat Out of Hell 3, The Monster Is Loose, but the first song is called The Monster Is Loose. Now, a lot of people might not kind of put Meatloaf and Heavy Metal into the same category, but this song is very cool. It's pretty heavy, and uh, once again, is written by John Five and Nikki Six and Meatloaf. Yeah, and Meat has always had a hard edge. I mean, if you go back and listen to some of that old Ted Nugent stuff, Meatloaf sings lead, I think, on a, at least a few tracks off of, I want to say, the uh, Stranglehold record. Yeah, I've always been a fan of Meatloaf. And uh, another little interesting thing, Meatloaf's daughter, Pearl, is Scott Ian's fiance, and she used to also sing backup with Motley Crue. So there you go. It all comes back to the metal. Let's uh, wrap it up. i got to run back to work. Yeah, all right. Very cool, Mark. Signing off from the very famous waterfall on 48th Street, right outside of Manny's and Sam Ash. This is The Monster is Loose by Meatloaf, featuring writing by John Five and Nikki Six. All spoken word and interviews are copyright 2007 by Talking Metal. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.